Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Okay. All right. So um, you guys are about to witness something that has certainly never happened in this church. Um, and quite possibly, it has never happened in the whole world. I am going to have a debate up here, but I'm not going to debate someone else. I'm going to publicly debate myself, and I sure hope I win. Um, So here's the deal. I am here, church, to commend to you the practice of regular, habitual, frequent thanksgiving as the means of rightly giving God the praise that he deserves, as well as the means for experiencing increased peace, increased hope, increased joy in life, regardless of our circumstances. And I am here to commend to you the practice of regularly reflecting on and giving voice to the whole expanse of our emotions and our feelings, and maybe particularly the tougher ones, things like fear, sadness, anger, as the means of being a healthy, whole person that is connected well to God and to people. And may the best Kevin win. So, let's begin with the argument that regular habitual thanksgiving produces health, peace, and joy, because I want to tell you guys that thanksgiving deserves to be far more than like the warm-up dinner for Christmas. And how was your thanksgiving, by the way? Okay, I hope, I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Mine was awesome, but I've been conflicted because I have watched how, how Thanksgiving has systematically uh, been swallowed up by Christmas. Um, it's just become a dress rehearsal for the next family gathering over Christmas. But I want to declare to you guys that Thanksgiving will change your life. It will change your life. And since this is a debate and I have to beat that sucker Kevin, I'm going to start with the pros here. I'm going to start with an expert. Lisa Fieldstone, PhD, writes for Psychology Today, and she says this. She says, gratitude is perhaps the most important key to finding success and happiness in the modern day. It's a pretty bold statement, Dr. Fieldstone. And then she references this study that was done uh, a number of years ago. And in the study, they described this thing called an upward spiral. Has anybody ever been on a downward spiral? <laughs> Those are no fun. I'm not sure that I've ever been on an upward spiral, but I want, I'm interested in checking it out, right? And so in this study, they, des- they describe an upward spiral, um, and the study was about counting blessings. And so here's what they did. They wanted to know what the effect of cultivating gratitude would be on the human experience. And so what they did is they did two different studies, and they, they were basically the same study done twice, and they broke people up into three different groups of people, okay? And the first group of people, they're calling those people the uh, the hassle group, right? So these are the hassle people. The second group was the gratitude listing group, and the third group was um, the neutral life event group, okay? 
And what they were instructed to do is to reflect on one of those three, whatever their category was, they were to reflect on it and they were to journal it. And so the Hassel group, at the end of every day, the Hassel group um, was instructed to just write down what went wrong in your day, what frustrated you, what was a hassle in your life, and just to write it down. That's all they did. They wrote it down. The, uh, The gratitude group, they were instructed to look back at the end of their day and to just write down What am I thankful for today? What went well? What made me happy today? And then, of course, the third group was just to journal whatever it is that they felt. They said, just write your day. Don't don't do anything different, right? And you can already guess what the results were. The results were this, that uh, the people that listed their uh, blessings, the people that listed the things that they were thankful for, overwhelmingly, joy, peace, hope, all of the things that we love increased exponentially in their lives. But what is um, a little bit more interesting is that their sleep was affected. They got tons better sleep. Their health was positively affected. And here was the most interesting thing about the study that I read, because I went and looked at the study. Um, In the results, they found this, that gratitude, this is kind of technical, but gratitude inspires pro-social reciprocity and reciprocal altruism. Gratitude inspires, doesn't it sound like studied jargon? It's like, what? Gratitude inspires pro-social reciprocity and reciprocal altruism. You know what that means? It means that when we cultivate gratitude in our lives, it changes the people around us. And what they end up doing is it makes people around us want to do good to us. That's amazing, isn't it? That if we are just cultivating gratitude, that it influences the atmosphere around us and people end up being thankful for us and wanting to do good things towards us. Tell me that gratitude isn't a superpower. It gives us better sleep. It makes us more joyful. It makes us more healthy. And I know you guys know that over the last couple of months, we've been focusing on everyone on mission. That we are a church that is called to gather um, people that don't know Jesus into an eternal, life-saving relationship with Jesus. And so we're trying all these different things like Alpha. And we, you know, we made those, uh, those invitations for you guys to hand out to your friends and neighbors to invite them to church for Christmas. But who knew that simply being a grateful person, cultivating a life of gratitude, could build bridges between us and everybody that's around us. This stuff is so amazing. So does God know about this? Does the Bible have anything to say about gratitude? Well, of course, the Bible is littered with encouragement for us to practice gratitude. Here's what Paul says um, in First Thessalonians. I always struggle with Thessalonians. He said this, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, here's what Paul was saying. He was saying, I know that you will find yourselves in a whole variety of circumstances. There will be all kinds of things that you will be doing, good and bad. And his challenge is is to give thanks in every one of those circumstances. And the reason is this. God knew something that the professors who did this study had just discovered a little while ago. And that is that living a life of cultivated gratitude, purposeful gratitude, it has a way of protecting us from bitterness, 
that could easily come from resentment, self-pity, discouragement. All of those things would be par for the course for life on, on planet Earth. And yet when we live grat- with gratitude, when we give God thanks on a regular basis, our hearts become like alive even in the midst of difficult circumstances. But here's the thing. Here's the tricky bit. It's all about what we pay attention to. Every one of us could build a case for being, for having a really, really grateful life. We could all, we could all look at our lives and say, I've got a lot to be thankful for. But we could also easily build a case that would say, I have very little to be thankful for. I, my life is really, really hard. So think about it. If you step back from your life um, and you looked at all that God has done for, for you, you could say, man, I am so, I'm so blessed. I'm so glad that God has done all of these things, right? You could be thankful for your health if you're healthy. And even if you're not perfectly healthy, you could probably say, I'm so thankful for the health that I have. Most of us can and should be thankful for our families. Our family isn't perfect, but for most of us, there's something to be thankful for in our families. We can be thankful for our church, our job, our friends, all of those things while imperfect. We have things to be thankful for. And if you live anywhere out here in the suburbs of Chicago in 21st century, it is well documented that we have more to be thankful for than probably anyone in the world, right? Our income, our food security, our access to health care, our education, our productive work, our non-corrupt government, all of those things are sort of in the top 1% to 5% of the whole world, even, even Europe, right? We are we have so much to be uh, thankful for here as, as you know, people living in the, in the burbs of Chicago. If we have eyes to see it, it would be hard not to be grateful every day. But we could also easily make a case that uh, for everything being bad. Every day we, we constantly could feel slighted. We could feel overlooked. We could be offended. Instead of feeling like we're, we're blessed and we have plenty, we could always feel like we never have enough. We could easily uh, make a case that we're always lacking somewhere. We're always hurting somewhere. We have money, but we don't have security, right? We, um, we have a house, but it's not the one we want. We have a car, but it's getting old. We have a job, but it's frustrating to us. And of course, we're constantly being hurt by someone. We're constantly being attacked by someone, unappreciated by someone, misunderstood by someone. And that's just in our own house. Right? Wait till we leave the house. It gets even worse, right? And so we can make a case for discouragement. We can easily make a case for unhappiness or hopelessness. And the interesting thing is that it's never about our circumstances. It is always about our response to our circumstances. Of course, it's, it's easier to give thanks when things are going great. It's easier to get into the doldrums when things are going badly. But added, uh, gratitude is truly an attitude. It is not an event. And gratitude is meant to be constitutional, you guys. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was unshakable because he had learned how to give thanks in every circumstance. It's what made him resilient throughout the course of his life. It's what made him productive. And so I want to ask you, how do you live? Where have you set up your camp? What do you see when you wake up in the morning, you walk out the front door of your house? And of course, it would be easy for me at this point uh, to ask you, are you in camp gratitude or camp complaint? But most of us, I understand, we exist somewhere in the middle. 
And if there was a slider between gratitude and complaint, we're somewhere in the middle and probably we're moving back and forth a little bit. But the question I would ask you guys is, are you currently, um, are you currently experiencing all of the peace in your life that you want? Are you currently experiencing all the joy in your life that you want? Are you currently experiencing all of the hope that you want? And maybe, just maybe, um, giving thanks. There could be a reason for giving thanks that literally has nothing to do whatsoever with our circumstances. I want to talk a little bit about um, something that we see particularly in the Old Testament. Does anybody happen to know what First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34 says? Do you happen to have that memorized? I can't do the Bible that way. I'm always embarrassed when like people go, what does this verse say? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm going to have to look it up, right? They, it makes me feel like a bad pastor. Here's what, this, here's what this verse says. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love for you endures forever. Does anybody know what Psalm 106 verse 1 says? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Do you know what Psalm 107 verse 1 says? What does it say? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 118 Thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. One more. Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So did the Bible writers just have a, like a writer's cramp or something like that? Like, did they just go, I, I don't know what else to say. I'm just going to repeat what I wrote, you know, 20 hours ago or something like that. No. Here's what happened. The Lord and the writers of Scripture knew something. And here's what they knew. Our peace depends upon focus and rehearsal. So much of our joy in life will will, will depend on focus and rehearsal. God knew that if we rehearsed over and over and over again the rock-solid truth that the Lord is good to us, that he loves us, and that his love will endure forever, and if we put that on repeat in our hearts, that's what the, the Bible writers were challenging the Israelites to do, is to have this thing in their hearts that it would be always on the tip of their tongue, God knew that no matter what would happen, we would be unshakable because the focus and the location of our hope doesn't have anything to do with our circumstances. It has everything to do with the source of all of the things that are good to us, and that is the Lord himself. And if we repeat that, over and over and over again, it will bring healing to our life. It will bring strength to our life. It will bring resilience in our lives. There will be this untouchable thread of joy in each one of us that has nothing to do with whether or not your life is easy at the moment or hard, whether it's like abundance or it's emptiness. And so it could be that the biggest key to an abundant life is to simply give thanks continually because it will, according to the experts, it will make you happy. It will give you joy. It will strengthen your body. It will give you better sleep. It will strengthen your relationships and will absolutely change people around you. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody look at your hand for a second. Just look at your hand. You see it? 
I'm assuming that we all have the same number of digits. Five, and don't, don't get technical on me, the thumb is one, right? So we have five fingers, and here's what I want to encourage you to do. Between now and, and Christmas, this is a good amount of time, I want to encourage you to practice giving thanks to God how many times a day? Five times a day. Could be in the morning, you could, you could do it all at the end of the day, but five times a day, cultivate gratitude, give God thanks. Or you could take this verse, What's the verse that we just did over and over and over again? Thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever, right? Make that a declaration, okay? Make that a declaration, and you will find yourself in an upward spiral, and you will be glad you did. Amen. Let's go this way. Okay. Well, Kevin, you've made some very compelling points. Brilliant, actually. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but let me say this. We must never, never bottle up our emotions. Because if we deny our true emotions, even the quote-unquote bad ones, emotions like sadness or fear or anger, we will end up shallow and unhealthy, immature, even disconnected from God and from people. And by stifling our negative emotions, the less presentable emotions, we will actually end up giving those very emotions more power in our lives rather than less. And so, as I said earlier, I am here to commend to you the practice of regularly reflecting on and giving voice to the entire expanse of your feelings, and maybe most particularly those negative feelings, feelings like fear and sadness and anger, whatever else it is, as the means of being healthy and whole and well-connected to your own heart, to God, and to other people. And since uh, Kevin began by referencing the experts, the experts in his persuasive speech, I will also point you to an expert. You may have heard of him. His name is Jesus, right? So Jesus experienced a whole range of emotions. The, the writers of the Gospels were really, really diligent to record that Jesus manifested all kinds of emotions, and particularly the emotions that we tend to sweep under the rug, right? Like here, we're all just like shiny, happy people, right? We've always got a smile on our face. When somebody says, how you doing? I'm fine, even if you're terrible, right? That's what we do. It's not at all what Jesus did. Jesus, one of the things that always struck me as interesting about Jesus, he was frustrated a lot. He like wanted to clang the disciples' heads together, right? In Matthew, he said, how long will I have to put up with this faithless generation? I'm tired of this. You guys are driving me crazy. I can relate. I'm assuming you can as well. He exhibited anger, like real anger public anger. In Mark chapter 3, it says he looked around at them. He was going to heal somebody, and the Pharisees were like, you can't work on the, on the Sabbath, and he was so ticked off at these guys. And he looked at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and he said to this man who he was going to heal, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. 
Jesus was angry at their lovelessness. He was a man of sadness. The, the author, uh, uh, Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah wrote this in, it's God's description of Jesus. It says this, he was, this is Jesus. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Is there anybody here where the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, it stirs up grief, not joy? Jesus understood that. Jesus was also very frequently moved in his guts with compassion. His heart broke for people. Like, um, uh, here, I've got the verse right here. In uh, Mark chapter 6, Jesus was in a boat and he landed and he saw this great crowd of people waiting for him. And they were just dying to see Jesus because they had sickness and they had hurt and they had wounds and all these things. And it says, when Jesus landed, he saw a great crowd waiting and he was moved. And this, this, this word moved, it means he was viscerally just in his guts. It was like he hurt for them. He was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Another thing that, I don't know if it's an emotion or not, but Jesus was very frequently exhausted. He just was tired, and he had to get away from people. It says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It's like, I just can't do anymore with you guys. I got to get away. I need a break. And so he would give himself frequent breaks. So Jesus openly manifested a huge variety of emotions. But how about us? Do we do that? See, here in the church, uh, and especially in the world, negative emotions, emotions like anger and, and, and fear, sadness, even fatigue, they can get sort of a bad rap like they're less presentable, right? We hear verses like, be not afraid. Uh, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Rejoice in the Lord always. And it can make us think that the only acceptable emotions, or at least the better emotions, are all the happy emotions, And the broken ones, the scared ones, the hard ones, the doubting ones, those are the ones that we kind of sweep under the rug. They're just not too presentable to us. But church, I want to remind you that there is an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. Do you guys know what a lament is? I I wanted to look it up because I had a general sense of it. And when I looked it up, I got so happy because it's such a powerful thing. I love this definition, a lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. A lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's not that sterilized thing that we do, I'm a little down, or we just cover it up completely. A lament is a passionate express, expression of sadness, fear, brokenness. And lament is all over the scripture because it is true to the human experience. And so if lament is all over scripture, why don't we experience it in our lives? Why isn't it acceptable for us to experience all of the emotions um, instead of like doing what we do, which is just constantly burying them to our own detriment? Now, here's what I know. I know you're thinking, I cannot do that. I can't be that vulnerable. I can't be, I'm not going to walk into my work and tell, you know, download all my junk onto people. 
And I understand that. And at the end of the, the, uh, my talk, I'm going to share with you a couple of ways that you can healthily, 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 um, express the stuff that is going on inside of you. Okay. But I want to challenge us to find a space where we can experience our emotions and even name them because by doing that, we will become healthier. Our families will become healthier. Our church will become healthier, possibly even your workplace. The wisest person to ever live, who was that guy? King Solomon. And he wrote this. There is a time to cry. And there's a time to laugh. There is a time to grieve and a time to dance. And so I want to ask you, do you make time for both? Do you make time for both of those parts of the human experience. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of really specific reasons. This is good stuff, you guys. Why um, we would consider um, focusing on some of those negative feelings that we have, okay? And I got um, a bunch of this material from Pete Scazzaro, who is a writer and a pastor. He, uh, I, I'm drawing tons from him on this. But here's the first reason why we would um, consider um, really focusing on this. And this, the first thing is this, experiencing and naming our emotions. I feel sad. I feel upset. I'm scared. Whatever it is, experiencing and naming our emotions allows us to know what God God is doing in our lives, okay? So church, um, it is often in that place of knowing how we're really doing that God can come in and minister to us in that place of truth, right? In that place of being like upfront, this is how I'm really doing. That's the place where God can enter in and he will do some of his very best ministry in our hearts. In that place where we're like, this is how I'm really doing. In that place, he can guide us. He can comfort us. He can prune us if he wants. He can encourage us. But in that place of being true to how we're really doing, God will do his best ministry in your heart. But if we deny our emotions, if we stuff them down, if we don't deal with the difficult things, we cut ourselves off from some of the very best things that God wants to do in our hearts. Here's another one. Dealing with our emotions will actually make you more fruitful and it'll make you more productive. And here's why. Understanding and naming your emotions, whatever they are, gives God a chance to lead you into better yeses and better nos. Okay? Because here's what's, here's what's going to happen. When you're in touch with how you're really doing, you're going to know what your limits are and you're going to know what you feel good about. In other words, you won't waste yourself, waste your life killing yourself by over-functioning, doing things that you ought not to be doing because you'll have a better sense of when it's like, yes, I'm in, I want to do this. Or you'll have a sense that it's like, you know what, man, I am fried. I can't do it. I'm in a rough place right now. I'm hurting right now, whatever it is. And you will be more accepting of how you're really doing. And what will happen is, is you will become more fruitful because you'll say yes to things that you should be saying yes to. And you'll be saying no to the things that you shouldn't have any part of. You'll work less, but you will accomplish more. And finally, what would happen, you guys, if we don't do this? What happens if we bottle up those emotions, if we try not to deal with them? Well, one thing that psychologists often say is that unprocessed emotions don't die, they get buried alive. 
unprocessed emotions don't die. They get buried alive. And if we bottle up our emotions, they will leak out. They'll leak out. They'll leak out in triggers. They'll leak out in, leak out in like explosions at home. They'll leak out as migraine headaches, as depression, as high blood pressure, as sleepless nights, as isolation in our key relationships. It's absolutely crucial to our health that we name and deal with our emotions, especially the tougher ones, you guys, because that stuff will happen. It will pop out when you don't want it. And so church, if you want to be a healthy person, if we want to be healthy people, if we want to be more fruitful in life, if we want to really be able to receive all of the care and the love and the direction that God has for us, then we need to stop denying how we're really doing. We need to begin to walk in truth. This is where I'm at. This is how I'm feeling. Because if you do this, you will become so much more healthy, so much lighter, so much freer. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you, and this is probably the, the wrong time to ask you to do this. I understand, but I want to encourage you to slow down. Slow down. You're moving too fast. If you don't have any time to examine your own heart, you're moving too fast. So slow down and take some time to reflect. I know that we Christians, we like to like focus on God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But it will be fruitful for you if you take time to reflect on you, to reflect on your own heart. And then what I have done, you guys, that has been so life-giving is I have learned to write. And I write with abandon. If you saw what's in my journal... I'd probably be fired immediately. You don't want to have anything to do what's in that book. But I write whatever the heck it is that I feel like saying in the moment, and I give it to God, and I say, God, give me truth here. What do you have to say to me? And in that act of writing with abandon, no filters, the stuff comes off. I get free from it. I get healed from it. So write with abandon. And then maybe lastly, if you have a trusted friend, somebody that you can really count on, someone that won't judge you, maybe share how you're doing with them. Say, this is, I'm really struggling right now. And just ask them to pray for you. Make sense? So I want to challenge you guys to get real to be present with your true emotions so that you can know your own heart better, so that you could be more accepting of yourself, so that you can acknowledge your emotions. And when you do that, you will see God come close to you to minister powerfully in your life. You'll get to experience uh, a, a more fruitful life because you'll be able to, to have better boundaries and you will experience more joy, more hope, more peace. And I want to encourage you to cultivate a life of gratitude because cultivating a life of gratitude will send you into an upward spiral. You will find more joy, more peace, more hope. You'll find people wanting to be with you in a way that has never happened before. Um, I'm going to conclude with this. There was a, one of the old church fathers is a guy uh, named Irenaeus, uh, and he said this, he said, the glory of God is man fully alive. If you're a woman, translate that to woman. The glory of God is men and women fully alive and practicing gratitude and naming and experiencing our hard emotions will make you more fully alive to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. All right, why don't you stand up?
Um, so if you are newer here at Thrive, we, um, we do our time of worship and Molly or I will get up here and preach at you for a little bit, but we always want to take time to allow um, God to minister to us. And the, the Bible says that wherever two or more people are gathered together in the name of Jesus, that I am in the midst of them. It's an amazing thing. God is here. He's in the room right now. And I know for sure that this debate thing that we did, it will hit some of us differently. I know that there are some in here, you've had a rough year. Your year hasn't been joyful. It hasn't been mountaintop stuff. It's been hard. I know that there are some of us in here that have hard things that basically no one knows about. You have hard things that you've endured that are a little bit old, and so people around you, they rallied for a short time, and then they forgot about it. And the Lord wants to minister to you there. Why don't you guys, if you would, just close your eyes. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, we we open up our hearts to you. And I I pray, uh, Spirit of God, that you would um, just give permission for every person in this room to present their true heart to you, just as it is. For some, we may be experiencing a season of joy. For some, we may be um, feeling content or blessed. And for others of us, it's just been hard. It's been discouraging. We've felt stretched beyond what we felt we could handle. Some of us wonder, where where are you, God? Where have you been? And so, Lord, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to speak, to pour out the Father's love, the Father's care. I pray for courage in this room, that we would be courageous enough to say, God, this is how I really feel. Help me. I'm upset. I'm scared. I'm angry. I'm lonely. Whatever that is, Lord, would you come and minister? Holy Spirit, just lavish the Father's care. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll never fall asleep on the job. I pray, Lord, for just a substantial lifting of any discouragement. The Lord wants to speak directly to fear in the room. If there's anyone that feels fear about anything, The Lord says, he says, be not afraid, but it's because he will get you through. He will grab you by the hand and walk with you through the fire. That's what he does. And I I would just encourage you, if you have felt further from God than, than you want to be because of circumstances, because of hurts, because of bad messages, I would just take a step towards the Lord right now. And Father, I pray too that 
um, we would begin to have eyes to see you in our lives. That we would find ourselves grateful because we saw God at work in our lives. Lord, I believe this, this word, be thankful, give thanks in all circumstances. And so Lord, would you stir up hearts of gratitude just as we are. Health isn't perfect, but you've done something there. Marriage isn't great, but you've done something there. Whatever it is. And most of all, Lord, we just honor you because you are good. And your love for me, your love for each of us, it will never cease. You adore us. So thank you, Lord.